Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In 2021, an Irish Examiner special report highlighted a number of deaths of people living in Ireland's direct provision system. One of those who died was Thomas Stofiel, a US citizen. But who was he? Why was an American seeking refuge in Ireland? What was he running from to end his life on a lonely County Kerry mountaintop? This is The Lost American an Irish Examiner investigative podcast produced and presented by Noel Baker with additional research by Mustafa Darwish. Part 1. Running from the End of the World They know I'm the man of God. They know which side I'm on. So I've drawn my line, they've drawn their line. And the FBI says Thomas may have weapons on him, that if you see him, to call 911. Of course, anyone with any information is asked to contact the Portland FBI field office. Jennifer, back to you. The FBI saying also do not approach him to call that 911. He told me the big lie is an American dream. He told me there is no dream. There is a devil in America. He was a sweetheart. He was just the sweetest. He didn't talk too much. He talked just about the parties, the hell, something is coming to this uh, planet. You know, maybe next year everybody going to die. Yeah, always talking. He was in some sort of a state of a paranoia, um, stating that he was uh, being followed by the Freemasons and they're out to get him. He's playing the devil. Man, I'm telling you, he's going to burn. Just who was Thomas Stofiel? He was many things. An outdoorsman, a skilled iron worker, a dedicated and loving father who traveled across the American Midwest from his native Oregon. But he was also a survivalist, a man who believed at various times that the world was going to come to an end and that he may be among the chosen few to survive. Thomas was known to some as Tom, to others as Tommy, and in some ways he was unknowable. An intense man, quiet and mysterious, driven by disquieting and alarming visions. A man with no fixed location, Thomas wandered across vast stretches of the United States and somehow ended up thousands of miles away as an asylum seeker and living in a direct provision centre in Tralee in County Kerry. I'm Noel Baker, and together with my colleague, Mustafa Darwish, we've been looking at the story of Thomas Stofiel, the lost American. On a snowbound day towards the end of February 2017, members of a forestry crew came across an unoccupied pickup truck within the exterior boundary of the Warm Springs Native American Reservation in Oregon. 
They didn't take too much notice, even though the haphazard way the vehicle was parked was partially blocking their route. But then came days two, three and four, when things began to take a strange turn. The tree-felling crew first chanced upon the white-coloured GMC extended cab truck bearing Minnesota plates on February 24th, and on February 25th they saw it contained various food and camping items, including a large box of ramen noodles. But by February 26th, their third day at the site, the crew found the noodles were missing. And now the truck's engine was running. When they returned on the fourth day, February 27th, and with the snow lying two foot thick on the ground, the ignition was still humming, breaking the silence of the dense forest at the turnoff from Mount Wilson, a peak which ultimately rises to 5,587 feet and which at its summit features one of the few steel lookout stations in the United States. The crew contacted the police. Shortly afterwards, members of Warm Springs Police arrived at the scene, and the fuel in the truck finally ran out. And then the officers heard a single gunshot just west of the vehicle's location, within a radius of a mile. The truck belonged to Thomas, Thomas Stofiel, a 44-year-old former military reservist who believed the world was coming to an end, and soon. With him was his young daughter, and their location was unknown. Inside the truck, members of Warm Springs Police found a notepad with a name written on it. On one page, in what appeared to be a child's handwriting, it said, I am never going to see Snowflake again. A rifle case and a box of ammunition were also found. The discovery of the truck and that booming shot echoing around the treetops was the trigger for joint police-FBI search operation. By March 7, 2017, a news report on a local TV station in Oregon was describing Tom as having a history of erratic behaviour, with his daughter's family saying he had taken her away five years previously. The young girl's half-sister appeared on the news broadcast. I'm worried about her because I think he's very he's strict and he's not very, not very nice and he doesn't have a good temper. I feel like he tries to brainwash her and thinking all kinds of crazy things. The FBI warned that no one was to approach Thomas. He had survival skills and was likely to possess weapons. The truck had been left half a mile from Highway 26, around 25 miles from Warm Springs and close to the reservation proper, home to the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, in an area that stretches out for 1,000 square miles. The police installed motion-activated cameras at the truck site and announced themselves over the patrol vehicle's radio system, asking Thomas to reply. A store receipt found in the truck led them to CCTV footage from a food store, where Thomas and his daughter had bought items on March 2nd. From contacting one of Thomas's oldest friends, police gathered that he was likely in possession of an AK-47 rifle and possibly another rifle, as well as up to 1,000 rounds of rifle ammunition. According to the police report on the case, police made multiple attempts to locate Thomas and his daughter, including the use of foot tracking, the flying of a privately owned drone, several searches using quad bikes and a flyover by plane, although inclement weather prevented the use of a forward-looking infrared camera attached to the plane. Still nothing. And then in mid-March, Joshua Capehart spotted them on the side of the highway. 
Thomas and his daughter, cold and shivering, were hitchhiking. Lieutenant of Investigations in Warm Springs Police Department, Capehart has a name straight out of Marvel Comics and a quiet, unflustered air, that of someone used to dealing with the unexpected. In this case, he had already investigated Thomas's abandoned vehicle, interviewed anyone who might have information, and now he had eyes on the man and his child, both missing with at least a fortnight. In his police vehicle were flyers bearing their names and images. People were pretty worried about the daughter because of the weather and just maybe they didn't have enough supplies or they did. Um, we didn't know. So after several days, I was heading up toward the Portland area to drop off missing flyers and I happened to come across them on the side of the highway because we had towed their pickup so it wouldn't be damaged. Uh, so they were standing there on the side of the highway hitchhiking. Able to talk to them and brought them back to the police department. Um, department of Human Services intervened and took custody of the daughter. Uh, we had, you know, a minor interview with Mr. Stolfield and he was in some sort of a state of a paranoia. Um, that he was being followed by the Freemasons and they were out to get him. And that was just a spot where he pulled off of the road to get up into the mountains and hide. According to the police report on the incident, Thomas said he's sure the people chasing him and his daughter were Freemasons. Thomas said he had studied everything about the Freemasons for the past six years and knows all of their secrets and corrupt activities they were involved in. Thomas said the Freemasons are after him because he does not believe in the devil. The report continued. When Thomas said the devil, he pointed in the air. Thomas had been so spooked that day in late February that he had simply dumped his truck, grabbed a knife and sleeping bag, and with his daughter had ran into the woods in the direction of power lines. They stayed in the trees for three days before returning to the vehicle for supplies and then leaving again. The engine had been left running as on that return trip, Thomas thought he had been spotted. They had left in an almighty hurry. Thomas's daughter wasn't dressed for the weather, and he later explained this is why they decided to try and hitchhike. According to the police report, Thomas said he saw clear skies and knew it was going to rain. Thomas said he did not want to stay out in the woods to have him and his daughter die from the elements as they were running low on supplies. Thomas said him and his daughter agreed that if the Masons wanted to kill them, they were going to walk out and get it over with. The AK-47 and another rifle were found. Neither was loaded. Within a few days, the young girl was in the custody of her mother and Thomas was reported to be back at work. According to the police report, based on Thomas's mental condition and with the totality of the circumstances in mind, it is the joint recommendation between the FBI and the Warm Springs Police Department not to pursue charges against Thomas. According to Lieutenant Capehart, He was known to you know, just go around different places and um, hike, camp out in the woods and stuff. And, you know, he was allowed to spend time with his daughter. But I think what I gleaned out of it after the thing was that, uh, you know, something got to his mind and he thought that uh, when he was traveling back and forth, he thought that somebody, in fact, was following him. And he was able to uh, get off of the roadway and supposedly get away from him in his mind and just basically held up there just for safety. Yeah, I think it was a, um, I think it was a mental issue. Yeah, he was known to be kind of a prepper and be prepared for anything. You know, he's kind of had the uh, paranoia for, he had a paranoia for uh, quite a good portion of his life. Lieutenant Capehart was right about Thomas's persistent sense of paranoia. Sometimes it was seeing other people as reptilians, demons, Satan in human form. 
People out to get him, people destined for hell. But was Thomas Stofield prepared for anything? Did he have any inkling that within three years he would be more than 4,500 miles away, a difference of eight time zones, in a direct provision centre alongside fellow asylum seekers in Tralee in County Kerry? A place under the shadow of a different mountain. Well before he landed in Ireland, and prior to the incident when he went missing with his daughter in Oregon, Thomas had been a man of visions, of strange, unsettling premonitions of the world coming to an end. In February 2011, on one of his Facebook accounts, Thomas posted a string of messages about God's planet. The planet that's coming right now is called Elenin. This was going to collide with the Earth and obliterate humankind, with the exception of those who were prepared for the onslaught. Only bringing things that we need to survive, he wrote, one comment lodged after another. Just ordered three gas masks with these snowshoes. He said his daughter would be in a pack sled. The next comment, can't believe it's going to happen in my time. We should be able to see the water from where we'll be. And the next, you need to prepare yourself. Think about the caveman days. And yet another, cave will keep you from getting fried by God's wrath when he washes his hands across the sun and burns the evil away. Mark andre Argentino, a researcher of online extremism at Concordia University in Canada, has some knowledge of this theory. He says, Elenin was the name of a comet that was passing close to Earth in 2011. There are two angles on this comet that may have been taken individually or in tandem. The comet was going to crash into the Earth and was the apocalyptic event that was predicted by the Mayans or the comet was a precursor to the arrival of the planet Nibiru, which was going to collide with the Earth, and entered pop culture in the 90s via Paranormal Page. It is a conspiracy theory that has come round in 2003, 2007, 2011, 2018, and in 2020 with QAnon. It is popular with those in the UFO community and some conspiracy communities, he says. Doomsday events like this also resonate with preppers. Did Thomas always hold these unlikely beliefs? Certainly not in his younger years, though people who knew him growing up when he attended Aloha High School in Oregon describe a quiet, intense young man, someone who seemed to be keeping a lot inside his small, wiry frame. Aaron Kearley now lives in Oklahoma. He says of Thomas, I just knew him when we were younger. and He seemed like he was a real conflicted, like pretty angry personality. And that's just when we were in, you know, high school years. He seemed to just carry a kind of chip on his shoulder wherever he went. So I ended up meeting him when we were just in middle school. And we belonged to a boxing organization. And it's called Beaverton Boxing. And he would come, you know, here and there. And he's a few years older than me. So I was probably about 13. And he was probably about 16. He always hung around a lot of us younger kids. Aaron also mentions Thomas's brother Don, or Donnie. He's another woodsman and has been a prolific user of social media in the past. One relatively recent example was the exchange outside a Walmart in Colorado, where Don live-streamed his interaction with police after claiming another man had threatened him. What's your date of birth, man? 329, 1973. Donnie, what's going on, man? He fucking uh, pulled out a gun. And then when I, I walked down here, 
apparently he's fucking hit it or something. He ran into the store with his wife. But according to Aaron Kearley, Don seemed a lot more easier going. He didn't seem as conflicted as his brother. Marla's Lazur is one of a small number of Facebook friends of Thomas. Hi, Marla's. Hi, how are you? Yes. Noel here again. Are you okay to talk now? Are you free to talk? Yeah, I am. I was on the phone, but I, I, I got off the phone. I can okay. call them back later. In late 2011, Thomas posted that he had his daughter back. He said, I'm happy as hell, never going without her again. Could not get enough of parenthood. I love it. And underneath, Marla's wrote, Congrats, dude. I could tell you were really upset without her. Good for you. Now don't do anything dumb. Marla's recently retired and living in Oregon. Gives a little laugh when she remembers that comment. He was a sweetheart. He was just the sweetest. He was my son's friend, first of all. And then he just became like a family member. And um, he stayed with us a lot. And uh, we moved out of Oregon and went to Montana. And he came to Montana and stayed with us out there for a while. He was a sweet guy. He, yeah. he, he just, he was very calm, quiet. Mm. And um, he just, uh, you know, he stayed to himself most of the time. And, yeah. But he was with us in the group. Mm. But, you know, he wasn't real talkative or, you know, real social type person. I don't know why. Thomas was friends with Marla's son, and he liked the family so much he stayed with them for a time after they had moved from Oregon to Montana. He didn't let us know he was coming or anything, he just knocked on the door one day, Marla says. It's a theme. Many people have many different views of Thomas, depending on when and how they met him, the intervals at which he popped in and out of their lives, but few seem to have gained a comprehensive picture. According to Aaron, We had a few run-ins with him and and he was drinking really heavily in his later 20s. And uh, just after a few drinks, he'd want to start fighting people. And it wasn't working out good for him. It seemed like it was real bad alcoholism. Asked about Thomas's beliefs or his religious ideology, Aaron says, Well, it feeds into his negativity. So, I mean, it seemed like that just, you know, how his, his mind seemed to go that direction for a lot of his anger and mistrust of people. And I wouldn't surprise me if he was getting into something like that where uh, doomsday prepping. He was a bit of survivalist. Aaron hasn't seen Thomas in years. Not after that last time I saw him, I didn't really want much to do with it, he says. It was not a good picture. The last time Marla saw Thomas, or Tommy as she knew him, it was just a few weeks before he got into what she says was a little bit of trouble in February 2017, when he disappeared into the woods. He was acting fine with me, just, you know, normal Tommy, you know, he just, you know, he just gave me a big hug and, you know, he was excited that he ran into me and, you know, I really liked that I was able to run into him and, you know, we just stood in the parking lot of the Wells Fargo Bank and talked about, you know, what he was doing and where he was living and he just said he was in a low eye, he didn't give me any, you know, exact addresses or even a street or anything. He just said he was, he was living, you know, in the area that we were in already. And, um, you know, and uh, we exchanged information and that's when we got on Facebook together. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just, it was a nice visit 
short, you know, in the parking lot as we were both doing things we needed to do. So apparently he had a, an account at Wells Fargo because he was there at the bank we were at. And then a few weeks later, you know, um, we saw it on the news that they were looking for him, that he was missing and his daughter was missing. And I don't know, they found his car. It was broke down in Warm Springs. And, and um, yeah. Yeah. And I went, oh my God, did he kidnap his daughter from his from her mother? Or we weren't sure what the story was there. At the time of the incident in March 2017, Thomas's former partner, mother to his daughter, told police she'd been very concerned about her well-being due to Thomas's mental state, and that he had disappeared with her on many occasions. She told police that some five years previously he'd taken her on a visit and never returned with her. Despite various contacts over the phone. The girl's mother had never been able to pinpoint where she was during that time and had also not reported this information to police. So where had he been and where was he headed? Martin L. can fill in some of these gaps. He's one of Thomas's oldest friends, or as he puts it, he was a friend, having known and mentored Thomas for more than 25 years, ever since the younger man joined Martin's reserves unit all those years ago. According to Martin, I taught Tom mountain climbing skills, rappelling, spelunking, and many other outdoor skills. We partnered on many ascents of most of the mountains in the Cascade Mountain Ranges in Oregon and Washington. Fortunately and unfortunately, he took it to the utmost level. Martin is a retired sergeant and chief of firing battery in the 218th Field Artillery Regiment of the Oregon Army National Guard. He's almost unique in having a helicopter view of Thomas's life. He first met Tom, as he knows him, through another soldier and helped him get a job. Both men were in the reserves, and according to Martin, Tom was progressing well, until he wasn't. Then he threw it all away on drugs, Martin says. Got caught smoking pot during training, was given the option for treatment to do that. He had to admit he had a problem, take a reduction in rank, and in about six months he would get his rank and section chief position back. He refused, and I believe he was given an other than honourable discharge. Many around him pushed him to do this, Martin says. Take your lumps for your actions. Move on. He couldn't admit there was a problem. Thomas and his daughter lived with Martin on a couple of occasions, totaling almost two years. Although, according to Martin, it has always been Tom's M.O. to just up and leave and then get to a point that his actions brought him back to reality. Martin says he was told that Thomas had been diagnosed with a chemical imbalance at a very young age. He believes Tom's mental health difficulties accelerated with his use of methamphetamines around the turn of the century, for which he received treatment in 2006. That, and, as he says, Oregon and the US having a poor to non-existent mental health help system in place. I'm sure that his self-medication played a big role in his mental stability, Martin says of Thomas. Alcohol was even worse with Tom. When drinking, he went from happy to sad to wanting to fight everyone in the place. No drugs or alcohol was ever permitted in my house. When he was living here, to the best of my knowledge, he never broke that rule. Martin clearly saw Tom as someone who was a provider and a hard worker. He says Thomas wasn't a drifter, but instead someone who travelled around various American states at the behest of the company he worked for, having spent four years qualifying as a high-end fabricator and welder. But here and there, problems arose. When Thomas's employers wanted him to move to California for work, he utterly rejected the idea. By the time of the March 2017 incident, 
Martin was telling police that Thomas was very paranoid. And while he had always kept his daughter safe, there had been more recent concerns about his thought processes and poor choices. It seems Thomas, along with his daughter and his brother Don, had spent 10 months living in a remote camp in Arrowhead, Minnesota, before later moving, amid plummeting temperatures, to an apartment in the same locality. According to the police report from Warm Springs, that was the scene of the fight between Thomas and his brother Don, and the trigger for Thomas to return to Oregon. Thomas and his daughter, often with his brother in tow, had lived and worked across many U.S. states in the years prior to March 2017, including Minnesota, the city of Manhattan in Kansas, and in Montana. There's a newspaper clipping from the Minnesotan newspaper, The Eli Echo, from Saturday, August 15, 2015, featuring a picture of the trio, with the brothers bearded to a differing degree, Thomas with a fatherly arm around his daughter. The Eli Echo describes itself as the voice of the North Country. Its Twitter photograph is of a dead deer overlain with a hunting rifle. It's mountain country. In the photograph, Thomas is holding a Bible and what seems to be a roll of rope. At the time, they were living in Granite Falls, Minnesota. Tom is quoted as saying, I'm going into the family dollar store. They want to hire me. We just got done with church service. We're kind of making our rounds to all the churches. His daughter talks about playing with her dog in the park, and Don uses a term that would become synonymous with him and with his brother. This is a great town, he told the reporter. Me and my brother and my niece came here and we're meeting the people who are just absolutely awesome people. My brother likes to call it Yasum Yah, Yah for Yahweh. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Out on the road, across various American states, and in a tiny corner of the internet, Thomas Stofiel went into battle for Yahweh. In his guise as truth warrior for Yah, Thomas posted 73 videos on YouTube, all between December 2nd, 2017, and March 3rd, 2018. A little like Travis Bickle in a beanie, or a seer in ski sunglasses, he was traveling the highways, recording his scattergun thoughts, and offering an insight into where he was on the anger spectrum at any one time. From becalmed, sometimes almost resigned, like he's in a losing battle in his role as a messenger for Yah. But he is more often at the point of detonation, a fury that is both visceral and irrational. For Thomas, Yah is the true deity, the one who actively dictates when and where he goes, who directs almost all his actions. He repeatedly says he's following Yah's plan. The videos may have been posted on dates just three months apart, but they clearly cover a longer period. He is all over, in Seattle, in Colorado, in Kansas, in Nebraska. His car is a billboard for Yah, daubed with slogans on three sides, including the line, give up your demons, scrawled across the back window. Whether in the driver's seat, at work, or walking around the street, he is always alone. 
The videos, most of which have only been viewed a handful of times, are unsettling to watch. In the first one he posted, he's still working out how to use his phone properly, but by the time of another clip, posted mid-December, he's in a fit of rage. The post is titled, Reptilians Will Die. Hey, Oh, what craziness. I get out on this four-hour job, <laughs> and like I can't see that they're setting me up to try to get me. I mean, are you kidding me? When people are so scared and nervous, and I can see their body language, because <laughs> they're not used to killing people, and if you're not used to killing somebody, if you haven't killed so many times like it's nothing, I guarantee your body reeks of whatever you're trying to do. I guarantee it. Yeah, I'm pissed, he shouts, adding he was tired of their crap and complaining that he couldn't even get four hours of work without being harassed. There were references to his legally held firearms and how if he was a, quote, nut job, or, another quote, a crazy conspiracy theorist like the reptilian race would like people to believe, he would have used them. In another clip, posted around the same time, an infuriated Thomas says, it's been nothing but hell today. If I see anybody that's worthy of having Yah's name, <laughs> I'm not casting pearls to the swine. That's why I don't even care if anybody watches these videos on, on my YouTube, because uh, Yah doesn't want certain people watching. Yah doesn't want certain people knowing. You got it? See, that's why the Catholic Church have that, or that's why they have that uh, little ritual about this is the blood of, of Jesus and this is the body of Jesus with the little bread. That whole story, <laughs> that is all made up. Yahshua had nothing to do with that. That, is a, that has to do with cannibalism. And that's what it all has to do with there, with the bread and the wine. Just burns me up, man. I, I don't know. Yah's got to do something soon, because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to take this nonsense around here. Thomas sometimes describes his work as panhandling, and it seems in the towns he visited, he effectively preached on corners. The days of his working as a highly skilled welder and earning big money were now in the past. Thomas was covering huge distances, but often the only thing we see in the videos is the inside of his car. He speaks about having worked out Freemason codes, of being able to spot Satanists and of clocking silver-coloured vehicles, which are, in his mind, linked to the devil. Closer to Christmas 2017, he posted a video denouncing those in filthy rich churches, using homophobic language to lambast a female pastor. He criticises the police. He rebukes the state of Nebraska as a bust. It's fire and brimstone. Pure Old Testament. I know how these Satanists play the rules. I mean, they... They literally have their own rules and play by them. So if you don't know your enemy, because Yah tells you you better know your enemy, I mean, that's on you, not me. People just don't want to believe that there's really a spiritual war going on here. These Satanists literally spend, because I had them tell me, it's this matrix is all for show. <laughs> I mean, I've been told this by the Satanists. In some clips, he reveals a little more of himself. I just dust off my feet and roll on, he says at one point, adding that he's always been in some sort of relationship with the Creator, but that he had been living in Satan's system earlier in his life, 
only to have spent the past seven years in his walk with Yah. That indicates a conversion of sorts in 2010, not long before the troubling Facebook messages of 2011. This chimes with Martin L's recollection. He describes Thomas as having been radicalized. He belonged to catastrophe online chat groups, Martin says. That put him down the path of destruction. When the Fukushima tsunami hit Japan in December of 2011, that was his jumping off point. All the chatter he gleaned from online told him this was the beginning of the end. So he sold all his belongings, car, furniture, all household items and more. He then took his daughter out of school and literally headed for the hills or mountains near Prineville and lived off of the land. His brother tagged along with him. They stayed there for months and in their sorties into town, they met up with a guy and his family that adheres to a religious sect that had a following 50 years before the referendum. That's Martin Luther's referendum and the split in the Catholic Church. It was, according to Martin, a type of fundamentalism. He gives the example of Thomas's extreme adherence to the Shabbat, on which you are expected, according to the doctrine he was following, to do little or nothing. That even included not building a fire when the temperatures outside were sub-zero. Martin says, I just can't understand the why. The religious creed Thomas was following seems to be incredibly niche, Kieran O'Connor, a senior analyst with ISD Global in London, which tracks and examines extremist behaviours, says, Stofiel might be someone who held competing Christian and Jewish beliefs. This could include elements of religion practised by black Hebrews or maybe a strand of Messianic Judaism, an intersection of some Christian and Jewish beliefs, and an intense focus on a doomsday or a rapture event. According to Kieran, reading more about Elenin, what's interesting is that interest in it really only existed in a short window between December 2010, when it was discovered, and 2011, when it finally passed Earth. At the time, Elenin was cited in various doomsday or apocalyptic predictions, including Christian evangelical preachers. NASA wasn't oblivious to the internet chatter about the comet, going so far as to declare in 2011 that Comet Elenin is no more, and pointing out that it had disintegrated a little more than a trail of piffling particles. Thomas's ideology seems convoluted and contrary. He claims in another post that a mass shooting was fake. I'm a cowboy, a nomad, a gypsy, whatever you want to call it, he says. His green eyes zip around in his head. Sometimes he's literally vibrating with anger. So they can burn in hell for their wickedness. And that's just the way it's going to be. It's not going to change. Yah's will will be done, and I guarantee I'll be one of them to carry it out. Martin says Tom was a doomsday prepper, and he had all the accoutrements. Tom was pretty fanatical about guns, Martin says. I know of two of his guns, an AK-47 and a Remington 700 sniper rifle, with him when he did his bunko, 2017. When he was living here, he got excited that he had cracked the code of the Freemasons, and that they were after him. Both paranoid and delusional, Martin says. He admits now that he made two mistakes around this time. First, mentioning to Tom that his great-grandfather had been a Freemason, and then in trying to logically challenge Tom's beliefs. That was the last day I saw him, he says. I tell everybody, seven years ago, me and my daughter were running through fields of daisies. I had money coming out everywhere, 
do we went and did anything and everything we wanted we'd go on vacations on the weekend run down to the beach 101 down to california over to nevada wherever and then i worked i was a journeyman iron worker i traveled on the road we me and my daughter traveled for three or four years there according to what police were told in march 2017 thomas had recently been working for labor ready or people ready of portland and as an experienced welder and fabricator had been making $20 an hour. It was suggested that Thomas had earned more than $100,000 in one year in his work welding grain silos in the Midwest, ahead of his sudden decision to quit when the company asked him to move to California. By the time of posting this particular clip, that period was a memory. Thomas's ire is aimed in numerous directions. At the Masons, the police, and even his own brother, Don. Hey, YouTube's truth wire for ya. <laughs> Woo! Racking up some charges on my brother. Mmm. When I'm with the rest of the saints, with Yeshua, I'm gonna watch you burn, boy. The one person I want to see burn in hell is you, because you were behind me losing my daughter, and you know it, Thomas says. For Martin L., the fallout from the March 2017 incident, and no longer being in direct custody of his daughter, was a trigger point for Thomas something he feels was exacerbated by his personality. First and foremost, he says, Tom had a giant chip on his shoulders. He was very concentric in nature, where the world revolved around him. Martin wishes it had been different, and it seems he coaxed and cajoled his friend over the years to try and find a better path, but he says Thomas never hinted at evolving his attitude or his behaviour. He could never put himself in the other guy's shoes, he says. According to police, Don is Thomas's only living relative other than his daughter. The police report into the March 2017 missing persons incident includes information provided by Don at that time and specifically about that physical fight between the brothers which left Don in hospital. It was alleged that Don had confronted Thomas about the constant moving around and the impact on Thomas's daughter's schooling. It seems both men were intoxicated. Don was later taken into custody on suspicion of assault while Thomas fled with his daughter to Oregon in the middle of the night leaving behind most of his property, including that Jeep CJ5 with a value of about $10,000. There was likely another factor in Thomas's sudden departure at that time. The fight between the brothers had alerted the attention of the Oregon Department of Human Services, although Martin told police in March 2017 that there was no indication they were going to remove Thomas's daughter from his care. But did Thomas believe that? Martin was in contact with Thomas at the time. I could see that he was getting ready to leave and abandon all his stuff, he says, including a Jeep worth at least $10,000 and a tow trailer worth $3,000. The Jeep he abandoned in Minnesota, and I sent one of my workers back with him to get it. At the least, he could have sold it to help get back on his feet. I couldn't understand his thinking in this, he says. Despite the violent altercation, Donnie was still standing by his brother. He had told police in March 2017 that Thomas was an avid outdoorsman, a survivalist, and always armed, but according to the police report, Don had also assured officers that Thomas would not fire on them if confronted and would lay his weapon down, as he had in the past. Martin was less sure. He was involved in the search in and around Warm Springs in March 2017, and he advised the police against any drastic action. He says he learned after the fact that the police drones issued up into the mountains had further startled Thomas. Tom actually heard the drone and it sounds like a hive of bees in flight, he says. He knew that bees hibernate in the winter, and it just reinforced his paranoia. 
That YouTube clip in which Thomas says his brother will burn in hell is not the only time he takes verbal aim at Don, who he sometimes accuses of simply pretending to adhere to the scriptures. But Don also makes his own presence felt. Hardly anyone comments under Thomas's videos because hardly anyone has seen them. But under one, Don writes that he always supported his brother in caring for his daughter. And in a later clip, Don writes, I told you, don't do what you're doing. Damn now you lose your van and go to jail. And looking at two years prison, 15,000 bail, 10% of that 15,000 to get you out. What the heck am I going to do now? This is crazy. You make bad video of me, then hang up on me. Now they got you in jail to where I can't do anything. When you get out, call or text or Wi-Fi spot. Get me from YouTube channel. Okay, I will have to get you home. And Thomas did go to jail. Records for the Clatsop County Corrections Facility in Astoria in Oregon show he entered there at 3.04 p.m. on Christmas Eve 2017 with a release date of February the 18th, 2018. The offence listed is Menacing 2, which can involve the production of a weapon. Martin thinks Thomas may have threatened someone, which likely led to the loss of his weapons. Having a conviction should have barred Tom from ever legally owning a gun ever again, Martin says. I must state, though, getting a gun in some states is as easy as buying a sandwich. And knowing Tom, it was probably a priority for him to get one. A March 3rd, 2018 clip posted by Thomas following his release from prison shows him in Salt Lake City, or so he says, briefly describing two months of incarceration, of losing everything. His usual volume has been turned down. He is tired. I stayed last night in the homeless shelter mission here in Utah. I don't mind being with the homeless, but I don't like being in a disgusting place. And I tell you, I slept in a disgusting place last night. Unfortunately, I guess if you're the man of God, that's what you're going to have to do sometimes. I would have rather have slept out on the side of the road, truthfully, in my sleeping bag. If I could have found some bushes out there, I probably would have done that. I did preach to the people in jail for two months, he says, before suggesting he may backpack around the country, spreading the word, sleeping by the roadside, staying with the homeless and the drug addicts. I don't do drugs, alcohol or cigarettes, he says, adding that he passes food to others who need it. So, I'm not lacking nothing. I may be backpacking, I may be homeless, and I may have no money at times, but yeah, it makes ways for me. It's a change from the burning man of earlier YouTube clips. He says he's going to move through Colorado and onto Kansas with a view to cycling around America. And then, after these clips were posted in March 2018, it's like Thomas Stofield ceases to exist on the World Wide Web. There's a gap of many months, his movements unknown and unrecorded, before he arrived at the only future destination we know of the south of Ireland. This 33 ain't stopping me. Even though I did two months in jail, lost everything, I ain't stopping. I'm preaching the word of Yah. You don't like it, keep on moving. Hoo-yah, so be it. I've put so many miles on my feet now, they literally feel like they're going to break, he says in one of those last posts but I'm not stopping. This podcast is for the Irish Examiner. Research was by Mustafa Darwish and me, Noel Baker. 
The documentary was written and narrated by Noel Baker and the sound engineer was JJ Vernon. Sound up was Jim Collin and the project editor was Deirdre O'Shaughnessy. The music in this documentary is by Casino vs. Japan, with special thanks to Eric Kowalski. If you are impacted by any of the issues in this podcast series, helplines are available, including at samaritans.org and by calling 116-123. Thank you for listening. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.